Hello, church. It's good to be with you. My name is Jesse Kroc. Uh, I am uh, the state director for the FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, it's been an honor to get to know Aaron over the years and a good friend of his, and uh, it's just good to be with you. Uh, I'd love to just share a little bit about my journey. Um, and before I do that, I'd really just uh, like us to close our, our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for who you are speaking to today. Father, would your words um, illuminate our hearts? May they be your words and not mine. Uh, I just pray for whatever anybody is dealing with that's viewing this today, that you would touch their hearts, Lord Jesus. And we just honor you in your heavenly name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, it has been a, an honor to have lived in Washington my whole life. Uh, I grew up in Issaquah, which is exciting because I'm speaking to you today. Uh, and two years ago, my family and I moved to Arizona and, and felt the call of, of the Lord on our hearts and in our minds and our souls to come back to Washington to serve the next generation. And that's what we do in the FCA is we build disciples, equip them, uh, by engaging with them and then empowering them to make more disciples. And we do that through the vessel of athletics. And what better vessel to do that uh, than here in Washington State? Um, we're able to be on school campuses, university campuses, um, doing a whole plethora of clinics and camps. And it's just a, a really exciting uh, time to, to pour into the lives of the next generation. But my journey didn't start here with the FCA. It started years and years ago when I went to Clark Elementary right up the street here in Issaquah and then Issaquah Middle School where unfortunately I was expelled. But that's a whole nother story. You know, a ragamuffin kid uh, who was causing all sorts of trouble. Um, and yes, that same kid is speaking to you today thanks to the mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today is, is understanding the journey and understanding um, that God can still use people like me <laughs> to uh, join along him in his mission. But one of the things that really got me excited about joining the FCA was um, understanding where our culture is at. And I, we could go on and on about the complexities of what the next generation is experiencing, what we're experiencing here in the church. There was a recent report by Barna uh, called The Changing State of the Church. And get this, in the report, it said that currently just one in four Americans is a practicing Christian. Just one in four. In essence, the share of practicing Christians has nearly dropped in half since 2000. One third fewer Americans attends church weekly now than in 1993. And over the last 10 years, there has been a steady, if slow, decline with just under 7 in 10 Americans affirming they pray weekly. Not daily, weekly. And then we read on social media. We go on social media, right? And the news is just, we're just inundated with the complexities of of. Uh, identity issues or um, politics or you name it. Suicide rate is up. Drug addiction is up. 
all of these things can be very overwhelming. But the church still has a purpose. And if we go back to the Gospels and we really get a a sense of what Jesus was trying to usher in with the church, the most radical love revolution the world has ever seen, that we have to be able to understand what it means to reclaim what it means to be a missional church. You see, Jesus was also a missionary. He was sent by the Father. And yet, he has asked us to do the same. Both his presence and his authority will accompany us to accomplish his disciple-making mission if we're willing. One of the best ways we can wrestle with that in becoming and reclaiming being a missional church, we have to understand two concepts here. The first being orthodoxy and the second being orthopraxy. Now, let's not get mixed up in those two words. So I'm going to make it real simple for you. Orthodoxy is our correct doctrine, right? It's our acceptance of Christian beliefs about God as a trinity and about Jesus Christ as taught in the church's early creeds. Orthodoxy shapes our belief system and helps us frame our world. Orthodoxy is very much about the straight, true teachings of the church. Teachings that cannot be changed. But it doesn't just stop right there. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And then later on in, in verse 26, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So we can't just stop with our correct doctrine, our orthodoxy. We need to move towards orthopraxy, which is correct practice. Simply put, orthopraxy is how a believer acts based on his or her beliefs. It is putting our correct beliefs of Christ into practice. So we have our correct doctrine. We have our correct practice. Now, now, now imagine if I went to the orthodontist, which is all about the correct alignment of my teeth. Imagine for a second if I went to see my orthodontist, because my teeth are all messed up, and some of us have been to the orthodontist. It's not a pleasant experience, and sometimes can be very expensive as well. But can you imagine if, if he told us everything that was wrong with our teeth and everything that needed to be done to correct our crooked teeth gave us the bill and then sent us on our way. Well, then he wouldn't be putting his correct beliefs, right, into correct practice. He just left us with crooked teeth. So we have to marry our thinking and our beliefs and our correct doctrine with a correct practice. Some of us know this in the Bible as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, 
I am with you always, even till the end of age. That's a pretty powerful statement. And here's where we get hung up on. Sometimes we look at that and we say, well, that was, Jesse, that was for the disciples. Or, or Jesse, hey, that's for you because you're called into ministry. But, but friends, aren't we all truly called? I mean, it's very clear that this is a multiplication challenge. That, that Jesus is, is saying, go make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. That's building the church. That's what I've called you to. You see, God's primary activity is in the world and not our assumption that his activity is in the church. The church is God's instrument sent into the world to participate in his redemptive mission. Period. And sometimes we get it reversed. We think that everything's supposed to happen in the church, but we're called to be the church in the world. And God's primary activity is in the world. So we have these two concepts of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. How do we live these two out? Well, we have to breathe. So imagine if I asked you to take a big deep breath right now and just hold it. You wouldn't be able to do that for very long. You would try, but you'd start getting lightheaded. You'd almost want to faint. See, our bodies weren't created to just inhale. Our body breathes in oxygen and it releases carbon dioxide. And it's a rhythm. That's what pumps our heart. That's why our heart beats. It's because we're inhaling and exhaling. It's a, a biological rhythm that God created. And, and imagine for a second that that is actually the same for our spiritual life. That we are supposed to breathe spiritually, inhaling Jesus and exhaling him to the world. I mean, that's a breathing rhythm, a spiritual breathing rhythm. We're not supposed to do one without the other. Can you imagine if, and maybe some of us have actually been experiencing this in our own lives where we inhale Jesus consistently, but we're not exhaling him out uh, through actions and um, decision-making and how we are engaging with communities and people and our neighbor and our relatives we're supposed to inhale his goodness and breathe it out to the world. That is a spiritual rhythm. Now, a couple years ago, unfortunately, I was exhaling way too much. My, my spiritual life was completely out of balance. I was not inhaling Jesus enough at all. And... I got thrown off big time being in ministry, got burnt out because I'm not created to just give and give and give without receiving. You see, we have to be fed in order to feed. We're supposed to give out of the overflow of our lives, out of the overflow of our hearts. And we can't overflow unless we are being poured into continually. So friends, there's a rhythm here. But as it says in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, 
you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So even Jesus is telling us in John 15 that you have to remain in me and I will give you the opportunity to bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. So friends, we have to inhale who Jesus is and exhale him to the world. That's our orthodoxy moving into orthopraxy, if that makes sense. But here, there are so many times where we, we stumble across roadblocks or we misstep in life. Uh, I, for one, uh, <laughs> am a, a, a wonderful example of, of, a, of a wounded healer who has made probably every mistake in ministry that you could possibly make and in my own personal life. Um, but God still uses me because I've uh, pursued him and pursued his people. One of the, the best examples we have of this is, is the life of Peter. Now, in the New Testament, what I love about Peter is, is he's imperfect, and yet God still values and uses Peter. I mean, there's so many times he just, he just blows it, plain and simple. Uh, in Matthew 14, 28 uh, through 31, we know about the story when, when Peter is, is walking on water. And Peter loses a little bit of faith and starts to sink into the water and drown. And in Matthew 14, 28, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? You see, my wife actually shared this with me that, that hey, Jesse, you know, Peter actually had a lot of faith because he, he took the step of faith to even walk on water. But the the fear and the doubt started to penetrate him and he started to sink. So that's one misstep that Peter um, experiences with Jesus. And then in John 13, 6 through 9, we know about Peter and the washing of Jesus' feet. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet. And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing. But someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, Okay, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Can you imagine that? <laughs> There's a little bit of comedy here sometimes when we, when we read the, the scripture. Um, so Peter misjudges God's character as a servant leader, which is going to actually demonstrate it in the future for the disciples. And then later in, in Matthew 16, 22 through 25, Jesus predicts his death to the disciples. 
and this is a, a really scary statement, but think about this. So in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I mean, can you imagine if, if, if you were walking alongside Jesus and you were seeing him do all of these incredible miracles and healing people and, and even making an impact in your own life and you misjudged his character and he said, get behind me, Satan. I, I would probably want to shy away from ministry for sure. But this is the journey that God has taken us on with people and with humanity. In Matthew 26, 33 through 35, Jesus even predicts Peter's denial. Peter declared, even if everyone deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And no, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the other disciples vowed the same. Okay, so then we move over to Matthew 26, verse 40 through 45, where Peter falls asleep in Gethsemane. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. Then he went to, a, to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So Peter couldn't even stay awake at, at Jesus' most critical moment. And he had to tell him three times. And then later... In verse 52 to 54, Peter then cuts the ear off the high priest's slave when they come to arrest Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He tells Peter, put away your sword. Those who use the sword, or in some uh, uh, different texts, it says, for those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for a thousand angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Peter misstepped again. He wasn't listening to the revelation of, of Jesus' journey. So he missteps again. And then the ultimate betrayal, right? We know 
later on in Matthew 26, verse 75, when Peter ultimately denies Christ. Suddenly, Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. So, when we read about these missteps of Peter, I can assure you, he's probably, in my humanistic mind, he's probably not the first guy I'm going to ask into a higher level management position. He's probably not going to be the first guy that I, I want on my church elder board. But see, that's the problem with human thinking. See, God's thinking is totally different. You see, there's hope in the, in the message of Christ. That he can use imperfect people for amazing, perfect work. If we're willing. If we're willing to accept that and step into orthopraxy versus our just just our correct belief system. So here's the beautiful picture. In John chapter 21, Jesus reinstates Peter. What I love about this story is you have to read a little bit between the lines to kind of imagine what's happening at this time. Simon Peter said, I, I'm going fishing. And the others said, we'll come too. They all said, so they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night. Go figure, right? You know, hey, I'm done with ministry. I, I, I'm just a fisherman. I'm going to go back to doing what I do best. And, um, oh, well, goodness sakes, we're not catching anything. And I, I'm kind of done with ministry. I blew it. Jesus even told me I was going to deny him three times. And I, and I told him I wouldn't do it. And I still did. But verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it, is, who it was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then did the disciples we're amazed, right? I mean, this guy's telling us to, to throw our nets on this side and all of a sudden we'll catch all these fish. And in verse seven, this is what I love. Then the disciple Jesus loved, note this, John's writing this, right? And John's in the boat. And he says, then the disciple Jesus loved. So he's talking about himself. Said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic because he had stripped for work and he jumped into the water and headed to shore and the other stayed in the boat and pulled in the entire loaded net to shore for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. Can you imagine that? I mean, he blew it. He, he wrote off ministry. He's going back to just being a fisherman and he heard it was the Lord. And he answered the call. He jumped out of that boat and he swam all the way to Jesus on that shore. And when they got there, Jesus was just sitting there. They had found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. And I love, I love this, this, this moment that Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Because really God provided it, right? In other words, 
you are fishing for fish. And I've called you to be fisher of men. Come back to the shore and eat with me. Be with me. So Simon Peter went abroad and dragged the net to the shore. And there were 153 large fish. And, and yet the, the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And after they ate, in verse 15, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Now Jesus asked him three times and responds with, then take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question for the third time, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you went where you wanted to. You dressed however you wanted to. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Friends, there's, there's no beautiful, more beautiful picture in, in the Bible of grace and mercy and in, in utilizing uh, individuals who aren't perfect. You see, Satan knows us by our sin. He's aware of our names, but he knows us by our sin, and he's always calling it out. And Jesus, on the other hand, he knows us by our name. He's aware of our sin, but he's calling us back always to be sons and daughters of the Most High. Friends, I, I don't know where you're at in life. Maybe you resonate with Peter. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your current. I, I don't know, but I know this. Jesus will and can still use you if you hear the Father's voice, if you're willing to jump out of that boat and swim back to him and and have a meal with him. He's just waiting. His invitation is here. See, a lot of times I think of, of Jesus kind of like, uh, you know the old GPS systems, right? You know what would happen if you, you got off the wrong exit or you went down the wrong street, right? The GPS system would tell you, hey, hey, ding dong, what are you doing? Give me your keys. You, know, you don't deserve to be on the road. In fact, give me your license. I don't even want to know your identification. You don't belong on the road. Go back and watch the football game. No, the GPS doesn't do that. The GPS system simply says, rerouting in a really sweet voice, right? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what, what Jesus does with us, is he just reroutes us. But we have to be able to stay on the road, stay on the path, pointed towards the destination. Yes, we're going to get off of the wrong exit. Yes, we're going to take the wrong street. Yes, we might get a flat tire. We might run out of gas. But God is always redirecting us to the destination. And that is reconciliation, hope, love, healing, mercy, grace. It's all there for us. And, and here's the thing. Here's the beautiful part. It's there for us to also share to the world. 
And it's the same for Peter. Peter was instrumental in help building the church after everything he had just experienced with Jesus. I'm going to close with a verse, and, I, and this is my prayer to you. In Philippians 3, 13 through 14, it says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. That is my prayer for us today. That we would press on and we forget about the past. We would even forget about today. And we would look forward to what lies ahead. But we have to be a church that is going to reclaim what it means to be missional. We have to be a church body that wants to step into this new era of, of building disciples and making disciples. And being the church outside of the Sunday experience where we come on a Sunday, we pay our tithe, we jump up and join, we shout and we worship and we get back in our car after a, after a sermon lesson and we wake up in the morning, we go to our nine to five and we wake up and repeat, wake up and repeat. We, we pay our taxes, we, we fill up our 401k, but God is calling us to a, a radical journey if we're willing to listen and step into it, even with all of our roadblocks, even with all of our missteps. So my prayer for you today is, are you willing? Are you willing to step into a breathing rhythm of inhaling who Jesus is and exhaling him to the world? Thank you for letting me share with you today. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna end in prayer. And again, I don't know where you're at, but my prayer is that God speaks to you and fills your life with hope, mercy, love, and dreams of making an impact in this world. Because as it says in Philippians, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray over who's ever listening today and I pray that you would speak to them, Lord Jesus, that you would get them back on the right road you are the heavenly GPS system, Lord, that just reroutes us to the destination. Father, that you still have a purpose for each one of us. Even if we're retired, Father, we're actually just repurposed for your, for your good, good mission in this world. Father, I just pray over anyone here who is suffering today that we can look at the life of Peter and how you used him Father, with your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, thank you for being a God that, that loves us to the end. In your heavenly name, amen.